Welcome to our new series, Chronic Illness and Disability 101. Did you know that more than 50% of all working adults will at some point in their career experience a disability or a debilitating event that will last longer than 90 days? Here, we're sharing facts and disproving stereotypes. So whether it's you or someone you love, this journey can be a little easier and a lot less lonely. Chapter 3, Feeding Tubes. Hello, friend. I'm so glad you're here. From November of 2019 to February of 2020, I lost about 60 pounds. In mid-February, when they finally admitted me to the hospital, I weighed at best around 90. I could no longer hold down water. I hadn't been able to hold down food for several weeks. I could actually feel like parts of my body shutting down and it was scary. I would not wish that on anyone. My doctors agreed that the best option to keep me alive was a feeding tube. A feeding tube is a medical device to deliver nutrients and medication directly to the stomach or small intestine primarily used when a person is unable to eat or drink enough to meet their nutritional needs for short or long periods of time. We knew this was my best option, but when we started discussing what type of tube to use, I had no idea there were so many options. It really depended on whether this was a long or a short-term need and the patient's medical condition. People are most familiar with a nasogastric or nasoentric NG or an NE, Tube. These are inserted into the nose, passed down the throat, and the NG tube goes into the stomach, while the NE tube goes right into the first part of the small intestines called the jejunum. These are great for temporary or short-term needs, like after a surgery or injury, or even in hospital treatment. For long-term needs, there are still several options. There's a peg tube. It's inserted through the abdominal wall and into the stomach. This is usually placed in patients who can't eat by mouth for an extended period of time. For example, if a coma patient's stomach is still working, this would be a great option for them. There's a J-tube. It is also inserted through the abdominal wall and it goes straight to that first part of your small intestines called the jejunum. That's where all your nutrition and nutrients are actually absorbed and it bypasses the stomach completely. Now, what I have is actually a G-J-tube. It's a combination of the two we just talked about. I have one tube that goes in through the abdominal wall. Part of it goes to my stomach and part of it goes to my jejunum. This type of tube is most commonly used when there's a problem with the stomach or the stomach emptying, even the intestinal motility, and when the patient is going to require long-term tube feeding. A feeding tube is used to prevent or correct malnutrition, dehydration, when normal eating isn't possible. Now, this can occur from a neurological disorder like a stroke or Parkinson's MS that causes swallowing or chewing difficult. Other conditions like Crohn's disease, ulcerative colitis, gastroparesis, those interfere with the normal digestive and absorption processes. Cancer treatments can cause patients to lose the ability to eat. Injuries, comas, or even some surgical procedures can impair someone's ability to eat and swallow, creating the need for nutritional intervention. 
While feeding tubes can provide essential nutrients and hydration to their patients, there are immediate and long-term risks. Pain and discomfort during the insertion, maintenance, and replacements will occur. Tubes can become blocked or infected, both of which can lead to serious complications if left untreated. The stoma site can become irritated, develop acid burns. They can bleed or the patient can experience tissue granulation. While feeding tubes are meant to save or preserve your life with nutrition and hydration, many patients experience a decreased quality of life due to the limitations on daily activities, travel restrictions, social isolation, and sometimes even a dependency for a caregiver. They are also not a guarantee of survival. In fact, studies suggest that the use of feeding tubes in some patients can actually increase their risk of mortality. When my GJ tube was first placed, they actually use buttons around it to hold it in place while the site heals and your body adjusts to the tube being there. Unbeknownst to me, the stitches that hold the buttons on were supposed to dissolve and the buttons were supposed to fall off. I had no idea. So for 17 days in the hospital and a week or two at home, I was doing everything I could to care for these buttons and my stoma site the best I could. And I ended up with a horrible infection. Now this is around early to mid-March 2020. I'm in excruciating pain. I can hardly move. My tube feedings are failing because I have this horrible infection. And I head to the GI doctor. Well, given what was happening in the world, my temperature was taken and I was told to leave. Tried to explain and luckily one of the other staff members heard what was going on and went and talked to the doctor and asked him if he was willing to still see me. Luckily, he and I talked on almost a daily basis at this point, so he had a little bit of an idea of what was going on, so he told them to bring me on back. He looked at the mess that was my abdomen and scheduled me for immediate surgery. The only reason it got like this was because I didn't know that those buttons were supposed to fall off, and if they didn't, I should have had them removed. Patients with feeding tubes face difficulties finding appropriate care, adequate support, but need to be monitored very closely by healthcare providers to ensure that not only are their nutritional needs being met, but they're not experiencing any issues like an infection. It's important to keep that line of communication open. Even after 17 days in the hospital, no one told me about the buttons or the stitches. In fact, my entire tube education was watching what a couple of the nurses did while I was inpatient and a couple of the handouts that they included in my discharge instructions. That was it. In subsequent hospitalizations, I actually had to provide all my own feeding tube supplies and teach the staff how to work with my feeding tube twice. Hospital staff has actually broken my tube because they didn't know how to use it correctly and that ended up requiring me to have an additional tube exchange procedure. Needing a feeding tube can have a very significant financial impact for both patients and their families. The cost of supplies, equipment, and especially formula can be substantial and unfortunately insurance coverage can be limited. 
making this necessity a financial burden. According to a study published in the Journal of Paternal and Internal Nutrition, the cost of feeding tube supplies and equipment for a patient who requires continuous tube feeds can range from $1,500 to $3,000 per month. This doesn't even include the cost of appointment procedures, healthcare providers, or other medication. In my case, I'm 100% formula fed. However, my insurance will only cover formula if it is medically necessary. They cover all the supplies, the equipment, the procedures, everything except the formula. And apparently being 100% dependent on formula does not mean that it's medically necessary. I would love it if someone could explain that logic to me. According to a study conducted by Olay Foundation, they're a nonprofit organization that supports people with nutritional difficulties. 27% of their respondents reported that they had been denied insurance coverage for feeding tube supplies or equipment. The financial implications of a feeding tube can be substantial, and although few and far between and hard to find, there are options for financial assistance and support. I have a resource sheet available that you can download for free on my website. Feeding tubes can also impact a person's ability to work. According to a survey also conducted by Olay Foundation, 31% of respondents reported that they had lost their job or had to stop working due to their need for tube feeding. It can be difficult to obtain or sustain employment or arrange the necessary accommodations you need to continue working. In social situations, people with feeding tubes sometimes feel very awkward, uncomfortable, stigmatized, or excluded due to their reliance on tube feeding. They can feel self-conscious about the visible presence of the tube, or they may struggle in situations or holidays that revolve all around food. This can lead to a lot of loss, social isolation, and difficulties keeping and forming relationships or friendships. Most people have only seen or experienced feeding tubes through television or movies. There's no real effective way to explain it, and you can't get it unless you get it, and we don't want you to get it. If there is someone in your life dealing with us, it is important to recognize and talk with them about their situation, what accommodations they may need, and how you can support them in this hard season. However, the best thing you can do is to educate yourself and others about their condition and the ways that this challenging process can benefit them and their family. When I left the hospital after 17 days, I had no idea what to do. I had no idea what was gonna happen next. And the worst part, the hardest part was that I had no one to answer my questions. It was scary, it was lonely, and it was completely overwhelming. In most cases, people talk about how online support groups are very negative or awful, but in my case, those online support groups is where I finally found answers and support and acceptance. If you're going through this, I am so sorry that you have to fight this battle, but I'm glad that you're here. This may feel lonely, but it doesn't have to. I will help any way I can. And, and there is an entire community that no one really wants to belong to. But once you're here, you are loved and supported 100%. Thank you for being here, my friend. And I'm glad you know that you're not alone.